So we're back with our fourth episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast, the, the first infrastructure podcast to, to shine a light on what we love to call utility strategy. Uh, as we all know, buried utilities, they pose an enormous risk to any infrastructure project, uh, often causing schedule overruns, unexpected costs, and uh, of course, utility strikes. Uh, but with uh, the right utility strategy, we're able to mitigate that risk and streamline our projects, and that's what our podcast is uh, all about. So sharing and gaining all kinds of insights that will enable uh, just that, helping project managers, utility coordinators, estimators, mappers, planners, uh, designers, engineers, and any other stakeholder overcome uh, the challenges of buried utilities in our right of way, uh, also from a micro perspective and a macro perspective. Uh, and to help us do just that, uh, we have here with us today, uh, David Rottmeyer, who's uh, going to bring forward the telecom perspective and talk to us about what's happening in the space. Uh, David has gained incredible experience in the telecommunication industry uh, for the past 43 years, uh, during which he has designed, built, and operated uh, wireline and wireless networks. Uh, he is a recognized trainer, expert, and leader in the fiber to the X2, whatever, uh, and uh, um, in design and deployment. Uh, and he's been leading complex projects in the space uh, since the very beginning. Um, so, David, without uh, further ado, uh, welcome to our podcast. And how are you today? Uh, give us some uh, some background about yourself. Okay, well, thank you, and uh, I'm fine, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. Sure, great to have uh, you on. Yep. A little bit of background by myself is, you know, I started off back in 1978 in the telecom industry, um, back before there was fiber highly deployed, before there was a lot of things, you know. I mean, I remember whenever T1s were the, or E1s in the uh, European community, uh, or the, the bread and butter for all communications uh, backhaul. Uh, obviously, today that doesn't work. So, you were back. Uh, we grew with the Quest one and, era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I have heard that in a but, long uh, time the LD1s and the LD4s and the, uh, the long haul. Uh, anyways, it's keep on going. It, it brings back some memories of. Uh, of those uh, air encasements and those uh, those splices on the side of the road. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what was funny was that you know we brought in fiber uh, to start doing inter office connectivity and things of this nature, and we said solution everything. And then in the mid nineties, you know, cellular service became the bread and butter, it became great, you know, it was there. We no longer needed uh, the, the long-haul long landline type service. We was gonna backhaul everything with a wire, uh, you know, with microwave and, and everything, and, but that was the, you know, T1s and T3 services and things of this nature. And uh, then the cellular business grew and grew and grew, and uh, all of a sudden there was more need for backhaul than what microwave could really support properly. And I mean, today's with the, the 5G and everything in nature, even the 3G and the um, LTE services, you know, backhaul is necessary for much larger bandwidth. And um, so then, but what's funny was that whenever we went that route, you know, we 
First of all, so we didn't need, whenever we had the fiber for inner office, we didn't need RF engineers anymore. So those became obsolete. Then the wireless industry came and we no longer needed outside plant engineers. So they became obsolete. And um, we're back now to where we need both. And um, so it's, it's a fun industry to be in because we go up and down, up and down. And, uh, you know, it's, it'll be one of those days whenever we all will sit there and sit back, sit back and sit and say, wow. What happened over those 40 years? David, tell us, uh, tell us a bit about what's, uh, what's happening in the industry today. What's happening at the moment? Sure. Well, I mean, there's there two major initiatives going on, really. You know, there's the, the wireless with 5G deployment uh, concepts. But it's really all driven down to one basic fundamental, the broadband services. What the users need as far as services and everything and how they're using said services. You know, before, you know, we had television over the air broadcast and you put your rabbit ears up or your TV antennas up and got it off there. Well, streaming services, that doesn't work anymore. So that is one of the big things. And of course, back, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we talked about the, the killer app. You know, what was going to kill ISDN? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But really, over time, it's, it's progressed and... The killer app isn't a specific thing anymore. It's really the user and how much they want of the services we can in, we can now enable. And so the industry is, you know, and that's what's driven the broadband services on fiber and fiber to the home and fiber to the curb and fiber, 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 because I mean, no longer uh, is it just the supercomputers and the IBM mainframes that need to communicate. Now we have, you know, servers that are the size of you know your desktop what it used to be and they are now chunking out more than the old IBM mainframes used to so it's now connectivity and that creates the distributed environment that distributed yeah. environment then required higher bandwidth at smaller locations david it's really funny to say that, it's really funny to say that because right through and through uh, throughout all the years i've seen a uh, a circle or a circle going back and forth so, for example, in 2003, do you remember the uh, the fiber crisis, uh, the, uh, the glass glut, where all of a sudden there was too much glass in the ground, right through and through, and uh, you know people didn't know what to do with it. And then all of a sudden we get back to here, it goes back up and down, up and down, where everyone was putting glass in, and then all of a sudden there was too much on the ground. And now we have that shortage because of, uh, because of COVID. And because of the uh, the pandemic and the the fact that everyone can now work from home, so it was really incredible how now there's not enough glass in the ground, and every everywhere you want to, everywhere you go, you're we're trying to get that glass back in the ground. Do you see it that we're going to have another glut again, or another surplus of glass in the ground? I don't really think that's going to happen. The glut that happened back in the you know the, the early two thousands was because where we built our fiber app, you know, again, we was focused in on backhaul and interconnectivity as opposed to connectivity. You know, connectivity is to the end user. Interconnectivity is, is getting the ability to provide said services. So we built a lot of fiber, you know, put a lot of large count fiber in the ground. You know, Williams did it with uh, the pipelines, you know, Quest did it. Uh, Will tell you know all these companies did it and and put a lot of lot of large count fiber 
to interconnect things, but never focused in on connectivity. Because, like, why should we? You know, back then, you know, we had, you know, our broadband service mandate was pretty low and pretty minuscule. And no one ever thought that people would really be demanding that. I mean, we should have learned our lesson, but we didn't. You know, we had ISDN with, you know, 64 uh, bonded and things of this nature. And we thought that was good. Then we had ATM and we thought that was good. And, you know, what we always underestimate is our end user. The end user is the person that quite truthfully will always use more but want to pay less for it. And that's our biggest challenge is, you know, how do we be, how do we build these things and how do we maintain these things in a cost efficient manner without um, increasing our operating costs, but rather decreasing it. And technology has done, I mean, come a long ways. I mean, if you think about it back in the 70s and 80s, we had a lot of people who had to do a lot of different things uh, because all everything was so manual. We've automated things. I mean, utility, underground utility, uh, mapping, things of this nature, just was kind of unheard of, especially sharing of information. No one shared the underground information. So all of a sudden you had strikes and things of this nature and all. So it was really one of those interesting, challenging environments. Today, with the end users, they want more, don't want to pay as much, but still yet we have to do it. So we have to figure out how to be efficient, much more efficient and everything, and use technology properly. Another problem we had back in the early days was we put technology out for the sake of technology, not for the sake of the customer. Because we didn't really look at the customer because everything was regulated, you know. They they the mindset was they have to use us. Yeah. So um yeah. shoot, let's just spend money because in fact the government will allow us to. Yeah, and it's it's, so, it's such an incredible world. Is that me on my end, David, or is that uh, uh I think it might be on uh David's end. Because I hear myself as well, like from. Uh, That's interesting. Uh, from David. there we go. We have our telecom. <laughs> we are inter, intercommunication. <laughs> yeah, but we're fine. We'll we'll edit it out. I'm not uh, not too fussy. Yeah, really, so so David, what, what, what uh, I really liked where you're going with the interconnectivity and the fact that everything was so regulated. You know, it was a monopoly. What do you say when they broke up those monopolies and now all of a sudden you have actually it's still a monopoly per se. It's a you know you have those you have those five six big companies that own the entire backbone, and now you have all these uh, these smaller companies you know all these black fiber companies coming up and popping up local fiber companies even municipalities, because of you know the fact that they need connectivity are building their own fiber networks. Do you see that as the the new or the next best thing that all these local smaller municipalities and smaller smaller uh, areas are building their own fiber networks because they want to be connected in? Right. I kind of equate that back to whenever, you know, when the industry started and you had the AT&T. You know, AT&T was everybody, and then there was GTE. You know, so then there, there was, then there was still yet un, unserved pockets. So there became the rural X. So if you look at it, the municipalities are starting to become the rural X model. You know, because they are isolated to a certain regional aspect that they can do. I mean, co-ops have a little bit more flexibility because, like, they can then build their their region and then go select out outward. Uh, municipalities are very limited in what where they are allowed to build, and because I mean, it's tax right. base. 
know, that, that's that's right. the key thing. So why would you know why would a city build out to the country whenever they're it's outside those city limits and their tax base is not there because that's county tax base. So it becomes uh, an interesting challenge in where you're creating a lot of pockets with the community. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the community uh, network is great, but it needs to be almost like what they've done over in Nevada or Utah, rather, with Utopia, where they've built um, their different uh, communities have built and paid for it. But it's run by a, a more larger umbrella organization. Now, granted, Utopia is now Google, but that's another story and everything. But you know, other, other areas have done the same thing, that where the communities have built their, their isolated environment, but then have been allowed to expand somewhat on those points. So it's um, it, it's going to be an interesting model. It's but it, what it's doing is driving some interesting investments. You know. I, I know that you know to be able to build the rural marketplace, we have to absolutely have government funding because of the cost of building things and to support it. But the government doesn't have a clue about how to provide money to the rural marketplace because in, inherently they're, they're dealing with tax dollars, so they're trying to make certain rule sets so they don't get scammed. You know, that hasn't always been very good. They've gotten, I mean, let's just look at Ardoff and how badly it was scammed and, and some other, um, you know, Reconnex and uh, 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 what was the other one, CAF. It all got scammed and everything. But in theory, it was about because like, they wanted to make sure big companies were doing it. Well, those big companies went built into their lower served tier two cities, you know, but not the tier three and rural marketplace. And still today, the rural marketplace is poorly served because the government doesn't know how to allocate funds to companies that will actually deliver. Interesting. And that is one of the challenges. So here I actually have, uh, I have a very interesting thing, but the Department of Agriculture, the USDA, is actually building its own broadband system. What the, you know, that, that's big government building right through and through to all the agricultural areas. Is that also a, uh, a trend right now? Well, USDA is, you know, it is, you know, who owns the uh, the rural telephone uh, and rural electrification and things of this nature. So they, they, it's all part of their umbrella. Now then, as far as they were building their own quote-unquote network, um, you know, they are following the same model as the old FTS 2000 was, where they're actually leasing services through the different companies. But they're requiring the big company to be the company that provides it, and they're, they're subleasing down to the smaller uh, LEC companies and things of this nature, which is problematic uh, for them because you know that one of the ways that the small LEC companies get money is through uh, lease services, and um, whenever you're a sub tier of a sub tier of a sub tier, you know you uh, don't really make too much cash off of that, and all you really get counted is you know if you're part of NECO or something of this nature is access line counts things of this nature. And then you got a fixed tariff rate, uh, but that fixed tariff rate doesn't really help you if it's subtended. Now, the markets, I've seen a uh, a uh, unification per se of all these bigger firms buying other bigger firms, and uh, it's it's really been you know the merger and acquisition model of instead of going building your own network, you just buy someone in place who actually has a network. 
And the second part of that question, the, the discussion, which I really want to talk about, is how quickly the technology is turning. So, for example, a few years ago, I, I, I kept on hearing about DAS, distributed antenna systems. And now it's really coming into effect for 5G, especially in downtowns where we're all of a sudden seeing multiple antennas go up every couple, you know, every couple of blocks or like every couple of poles. It's really incredible how much infrastructure we're building for this one. Like we're really betting on this one system to be that go-to system and what happens next. So it's uh, really, really interesting. Number one, the mergers, and then how do you actually uh, develop a system which will not be too, uh, per se, ugly you know, or, or aesthetically uh, pleasing for the, uh, the consumer? Yeah, I mean, on the merger side of the house, that was there was always writing on the wall that that was going to happen. I mean, the divestiture of AT and T and do the 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 five major um, uh, lex and things of this nature wasn't never going to hold. And I mean, it was as soon as you know Clinton and parties were out of the office that you know Pacific Bell started buying up other parts of it and became basically now AT and T again and everything. Um, and then, of course, Verizon was originally, you know, the uh, North New England and um, GTE. And, you know, so they just basically merged and everything and became that. Unfortunately, that's that's just the nature of the marketplace because of cost. You know, cost is one of those things that drives it. And so everyone wants to steal the big markets. The only way to steal the big market is to buy up the existing companies, the smaller companies, you know. But now there are some companies that are buying um, you know, the, um, the rural marketplace. Frontier is an example. Frontier did a really bad bit deal, and they bought up too much and um, went bankrupt because of it, because they didn't understand that, you know, Verizon did a poor job of files in their areas, and uh, some of the uh, GTE properties they bought were so substandard that they didn't have the cash to uh, put into building it up, things of this nature. Same thing with Windstream. You know, why Windstream went into bankruptcy? They bought a lot of bad GTE properties. You know, uh, GTE, like I said, was the second carrier per se, but it was designed for the rural marketplace. And they just threw out a lot of copper and a lot of co copper that has degraded over the years. And these companies bought it up thinking footprint because they looked at it from an access line and subscriber potential basis as opposed to plant basis. And that was how the old the old costing model for buying companies were, uh, you know, based upon you know access lines and everything. Not a good model. Never really thought about revenue. And you know, even back in the, the early late '90s and early 2000s, when we was putting all that fire in the ground, you know, all these companies was just looking at let's get it in the ground and we'll make money later. You know, so a lot of them. That's why they a lot of them got bought up uh, because they overspent without revenue models. I mean, back in the C-Lake heyday, you know, the late 90s, you know, everybody was doing business plans on the back of a napkin to get the millions of dollars. Craziness and everything. And as a result of that, you had non-telecom people trying to build networks. Hmm. Back to that very issue of this topic is, you know, the, the, the underground infrastructure not being known because no one really understood what was necessary to document you know, they drew lines on pieces of paper and said, that's the map, go build it. And people went out and, you know, the contractors had the nightmares and they built it, but they don't get paid to document. You know, they get paid to do the red line 
But if that red line goes into a box, <laughs> it's no longer about it. Talk to us about how oh, that's, uh, that's done today, David. What's, uh, what's improved? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> today, again, uh, most engineering firms still yet are line drawers. They draw lines on pieces of paper because, first of all, you know, to get a locate, an engineering locate is very difficult because locate services are very busy. So trying to get somebody to go out and locate for engineering purposes is very difficult and costly when you do get it done. So the guys are out there trying to say, well, this is where we believe things are at. They'll send out stakers and stuff of this nature. But most time you send out stakers, they're looking aerial. And because they don't know how to under how to really look at the underground and say, this is the route that's going. You know, yeah. because yeah. that skill set was lost. You know, back there whenever I was talking about how outside plant engineering became obsolete, the old yeah. guys who knew how to go out and look at a field and look at a road and sit and say, this is where it's at. I mean, I, I talked to guys who, you know, today I said, okay, they say, how do you figure out which side of the road you should be on? I'm going, which side is the water line mm -hmm. on? Which side is the mm -hmm. gas line on? I said, you know, you want to try to avoid those because if I can do construction, those strikes are bad. So go on the opposite side of the road if you can. But if all the houses are on that side of the road, guess what? Boards on the roads are expensive. So building that side it, it's it's a lot of the things you know doesn't transpose anymore so you know i mean a lot of the companies now have these tool sets they do auto design and they think that's great but most of those auto design tools don't know existing infrastructure you know even if you show a pole line they don't really know that pole line so they will do cent central road design hmm. which unless you're doing Building in the middle of the road, it's not relevant. Oh, well, by the way, the middle of the road is normally where the sewer's at, but so, you know, that's Hang on, so they want to build on the ground? That... Well, that's how the, that's how the uh, system looks at it. It just looks at road, road wow. lines as opposed to actually where infrastructure is because they, they don't know how to recognize infrastructure. A lot of these new design programs, you know, I, I'm not going to say any specific ones because I could, but... That would not be very good. Uh, but there were, most of them, I, I have not met one of them, and I've part of it with all of them that's out there. Uh, they actually understand how to design against utility, existing utility. That's very interesting what you're saying, actually. So, what I've, uh, what I've, one thing I found is, you know, utility strikes on telecom are, are, are I hate this, are very often. But the funny thing is, they're some of the most expensive strikes there are. Because it's not only just the cost of repair, it's also the residual lawsuits which happen based upon the uh, services going down. And it's it's really funny. Although the vendors cannot, or the people or the, the users on the actual telecom line cannot go after the phone company, and of course they've excluded that, the phone company goes after the, uh, the person damaging the line for all the different uh, additional costs in you. We're talking one fiber line could be millions. And as well, nowadays, mm -hmm. with fiber, you know, you, you, the the 911 services and everything else are now done by fiber. So if you cut off a fiber line, you could, in theory, be cutting off a, uh, a robotic surgery, a 911 call center, all these different things, which before they had redundancy upon redundancy upon redundancy with the, the copper line, 
now it's, you know, they're just putting it through one or two fiber lines and that's it. You know, what, uh, do, you, do you have any uh, opinion on that or just in terms of costs of uh, why things have gotten so expensive in terms of, of in terms of, um, you know, correcting course per se and uh, damages? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that is the reason why finding good quality construction companies anymore mm-hmm. are very difficult. You know, it's like the cost of insurance for case of strikes and everything are very, is very high. You know, the liability uh, ratio, you know, the larger the company is, the more they build, the higher that, that cost comes into play. And again, but it gets back down to that very statement I made earlier about the engineering entities just drawing lines on pieces of paper, not knowing what's there and not doing their own research to actually understand. Now, of course, every telephone company will tell you, oh, it costs too much money to have it field state all the time, things of this nature. So these are just, you know, three, four mile uh, runs and things of this nature. Not, not, not that necessary. You know, we will let the contractor figure it out. Well, you're putting something on a contractor that is their very job is to dig and bury and everything. And they use different technologies, plows and things of this nature. So they don't always know what's underground. Even if you did aerial, a perfect example of an aerial strike in the underground is whenever you're sinking anchors. Most people don't think about going out and calling a locate when you just got to sink an anchor. But yeah. guess what? I've, yeah. I've had more strikes because of people, you know, especially telephone companies, even if they're grounding, putting, you know, rebuilding their grounds and stuff, having strikes because, in fact, you know, we were very close to the uh, pole line and everything. Voila. I actually had a, an incident where a guy was uh, building a, uh, a barn and he was outside of the electrical utility, but he decided he needs some extra dirt. So he went under, into the uh, electrical utility, started digging. Well, of course, my plant was there. Voila. Not only did he cut my copper, but he also cut my huh. fiber. And that fiber uh, put down three cities. Because wow. instead of, you know, we all talk about, you know, yeah, we're going to build a, a ring. But the problem is, it's a collapse ring. It's only the same fiber sheath. You know, yeah, it may be a different fiber, but it's in the same sheath because building is expensive, and building fiber rings in the rural marketplace even more expensive and more difficult. So, yeah, um, the 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 cost burden. You know, but the thing is, is you know, you, with that we just talked about the contractor, but the perception that the company, the telephone company has by its end users when those type of things happen also is a problem because they're going, we're paying you so much money and you can't even keep my services up. I mean, when we had that strike uh, for that guy who was building a barn, you know, it kept the uh, those three cities down for 12 hours. You know what, today, nowadays, it's definitely incredible. It's not only telecommunication, it's everything. It's our, it's our TV, our streaming, everything is through there. We are so centered and dependent on that one line working. And uh, the resiliency yep. of, of it is so, is so strained. You know, look at what happened in the last the last two years when people went to work from home. All of a sudden, the the entire network was taxed to you know to the maximum of of bandwidth. It, it's absolutely incredible how you know we've always been a, a an urban urban center focused uh, telecom world where all the you know the interconnectivity and the, the fast telecoms always in the urban centers. But now 
that a lot of people started working from home. You had that uh, you had that suburban sprawl and that uh, that rural lifestyle uh, uh, moniker, that pedigree, saying, "Okay, I can now do my work from home, and I still want to maintain the same connectivity I have from home." You know, can the uh, can the telecom companies respond and actually get us to there? And the next question, you know, the next thing that really comes to mind is uh, I have a friend of mine who has a cottage in rural Ontario. Very, very, uh, you know, and he's been, he has a pole 150 meters from his house. The, the you know, the uh, the telecom company says, okay, for us to, to pull a line into your house, it'll cost X, Y, and Z. It was actually more economical, economical for him to get fiber optic or sorry, to get internet services through that uh, that new Elon Musk planet service, the low orbit satellites, versus pulling in a pole or pulling in a telecom line 150 meters. So really incredible. <laughs> you know, do, do you have any uh, any opinions or just just uh, just that's the way it is? Well, no. I'm mean, unfortunately it is the way it is, but you know, um, I, I I'm definitely um, opinionated on a couple of things of this nature. Um, you know, I, I actually live in the rural marketplace. I have a 53-acre spread here that I enjoy my life here in, in Live Hill, Arkansas, everything. Um, now, right now, I'm on a wireless service because telephone company can only give me 1.5 megabit. You know, wow. even though they have fiber nearby, everything is just not on the list for building yet, everything. So I'm on a wireless service that uh, is adequate. I'll just put it that way. Uh, everything. But... Um, the, you know, most telephone companies have certain rule sets and, you know, uh, after X amount of uh, feet, then, you know, the customer has to contribute to the uh, cost and things of this nature. And some states have, you know, contributory programs and things of this nature. Some do not. Um, so it all depends upon how much it's going to cost. Here in Arkansas, they actually have a state fund that pays, you know, a certain, you know, the, the, the telephone company is responsible for two-tenths of a mile for build. And then uh, the customer, once it, they pay $250, and the, the government will pick up the wow. rest of the cost. So that's wow. good. Indiana, Tennessee don't have that. You know, so those are the, some of the challenges that face on that front. Um, but you know, Arkansas is definitely more rural marketplace than Indiana or um, even Tennessee, uh, especially from a uh, low-income aspect. David, what are... So that's one of the challenges. T take us back to the planning phase of uh, of uh, putting fiber in the ground. What do you think uh, uh, companies and uh, fiber owners should be doing differently? Like if we're saying that the the, the software the, the software is a problem because it's automated or or so on, but but what else can can be done? Like what what can we do to avoid these problems? Well, I mean, this is where you know. Um, there are tools that could be used. I mean, the, the best thing is, is field staking, you know, but actually a qualified field staker, you know, but if you don't have a qualified field staker, then you can use the technologies, you know, GPR. As much as people sit there and say it's expensive, uh, back to, you know, affairs um, mentioning, it's costly for a strike. So uh, using GPR, which I actually have done, in, in several different programs, both U.S. and overseas. And um, you have uh, the ability there to, to find things. Now then, you know, okay, like here in Arkansas, people sit and say, well, there's so much rock, you can't really see anything. Well, guess what? Most people don't build, 
they built to the rock and then they will do a slice that will show up on a GPR. Um, the GPR of yesteryear versus today is significantly different, but you have to have skill set to read it. Plus, it's a lot of information. You know, so I mean, you're talking about, you know, megabytes to gigabytes worth of data to, to go through. And if they then, you know, what do you store it at, things of this nature. And so there's a lot of that uh, questions and everything. But GPR would definitely be a good tool set to use. That is combined with EM, correct? Right? Yeah. That is combined with uh, the EM investigation, though. Electromagnetic. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you always will want to, but I'm mean, again, you know, getting locate companies to go out there and do engineering locates is very difficult. Wasn't that the whole purpose so, of the Sioux industry, though? To do a go out? The Sioux industry, well, it, but, but it ended up being to where um, for construction more than for uh, engineering. So there are two different uh, criteria that they call. They, they, you know, they call out for en uh, engineering locates, and that, that's up to the uh, individual uh, uh, services offering, you know, the 411, 811 service offerings uh, to decide whether or not they will or will not do an engineering locate. Thing. Then there's the construction locates, and that is a mandatory locate that the respective um, telephone companies have contributed toward, uh, or utility companies that have contributed for to, and they pay uh, a, a monthly service fee for that. No one wants yeah. to pay for the engineering locates because that gets expensive, you know. You know, 30 bucks a, a locate for every, you know, quarter of a mile becomes expensive or quick life. Especially right. when you talk about long haul builds, you know, major yeah. builds, you know, 10, 20 yeah. miles. Don't we, don't we use so, Advil's um, at this stage? Like, because well, the, the preliminary stages, it's just difficult to send out teams and start, start to do staking. Well, not really. I mean, because like, if you do in a telephone pole line, you do send out stakers and they do verify the pole line. Yeah. So it's not that difficult. I mean, it. You can sit there and say that it it, it is uh, time consuming and and costly, but if in reality, it will cost you less than a delay will cost you. Absolutely. And that's the Absolutely. Key thing. Delays are significant. Now then, if there are good as builts, that's great. But I'll I'll I'll, I'll caution you on as-builds. They're not GPS-oriented. I mean, you drew a line down a road, and when that contractor was building something, he went into an obstacle, he deviated, but you're not going to see that deviation on an as-build, yeah. he's not going to, unless yeah. he deviates significantly. Yeah. A red line yeah. will be, you know, okay, if he moved it two feet over, why show that? So that's really interesting because what you're saying is uh, uh, when you're saying staker, you're talking about a surveyor, correct? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, there's different vernacular across North America. And okay. So you're getting your surveyor to go out and survey the uh, the line. It's really funny because it's so counterintuitive. Uh, you're sending a surveyor to get exactly what he can see. But what you can see is where that the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the true problem is. What's below ground is that true problem. And it, it's really, it's so counterintuitive. You know, here, let's put a lot of money into what we can see. But you know what? What we can see, out of sight, out of mind, doesn't matter. Let's let the construction guys deal with it. The construction guy gets it and goes, okay, I have to go from A to B, and here's how I'm going to do it, you know, trenchless, whatever my method is. And, you know, if, if I have to change anything, that's good. That's actually great for me. Change order. 
you know, I'm going to charge the telephone company more money. And it, it, it's a, it's literally a cat chasing its tail right through and through. Instead of actually putting that money into engineering and saying, okay, let's understand what we're doing and start mitigating and start really understanding the risks and really design properly. You're just going to the cheapest model saying, okay, I have my engineering bucket, which is X. I have my construction bucket, which is Y. If I put money into my construction bucket, I'm actually seeing things and I'm actually, I see the here, I'm doing things. So it looks good. But putting money into engineering doesn't look good. It doesn't look like it's a it's an, a good line item. So I'm, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and keep on going the way you are, you know, the way we're doing it. Is that what you're saying, David? <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, one of the the, 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 the the way the mindset is to offset that is, well, we're going to hold the contractor liable for the breaks and the cuts and things of this nature. And instead of saying our engineering was substandard. Yeah. It's just, you know, hey, yeah. you know, Mr. Contractor, it's your responsibility to locate the uh, existing services. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so he calls the locate company. Locate company gets it. Now then, the locate company has a plus minus 48 inches on either side. Mm. So, mm. that. And they're not responsible for showing right. that. So, if right. something's buried shallow, you know, if you're, if, if something should have been buried three foot and your, your requirement is to bury something two foot, and so they say, okay, well, it's it's on this line, but it's 36 inches. Then they stop plowing, and man, somebody put it in 12 inches. You know, yeah. uh, it's we we don't understand. I mean, back in the early days, we did a lot of engineering. You know, engineering was a big deal in AT&T. You know, I mean, there was in GTE, they had some some specifications that were just rock solid. But we we turned all those away back to that glut of build. You know, we just build, 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 and not worry too much about what was there. And um, in result, we have um, a, a proliferation of information out there that's highly questionable. Back in the uh, before GPS we even became available, how much plant was put in the ground? That had, there was, you know, well, this is the running line, okay? And the right away says you're supposed to keep five foot from the uh, back of right away. Okay, wow, that's really great. How many times did that right away line change? You know, I mean, state of Arkansas, uh, the actual in the country, the roads are recognized that as property, personal property, up to the center of the crown. Hmm. So hmm. I own half of my road out there. You know, wow. <laughs> I mean, so, wow. so yeah, I try to negotiate that was right away. <laughs> Very interesting. What What do you think the uh, the telecom companies should be doing different? Like, how, how do we change this culture? Like, what, what would incentivize them to invest more in engineering? Uh, that one's a tough one because the you government... You ask tough questions. Yeah. Back down to that government uh, involvement. The government has a formula. And if you show you're going to invest this much in construction, this much in engineering, and that much on engineering is greater than what their formula says you should have, they're not going to award you the money. You know, so it really gets down to back to the, the fact that the, the funding sources do not recognize the values of certain things. And, you know, the worst thing about the engineering side of the house is that even when the as-built are done, it's not accurate. 
So because the contractor isn't an engineering firm, you know, they're, they're doing red lines based upon what they place in the ground. There's no GPS uh, tied to it, things of this nature, other than maybe a handhold or a pad or things of this nature or a splice point. So your and then most uh, cable plant documentation system are not geo-rectified. So they are G, you know, they are just geo-coded as opposed to GPS oriented. So you have inaccurate information. So the, the 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 industry as a whole has to start recognizing that engineering is important. But you have to have true outside plant engineers to show that value. I mean, when I was with uh, Ericsson and I did a project uh, for them, we, we I got them to make a significant investment in the engineering side of the house for an outside plant project. And that ultimately was a big cost savings because contractors knew what they was getting after a few minutes of experimentation when they was going, oh, I don't trust engineering anyway. You know, most contractors, they get a piece of paper and they, they, they look at the engineering, they say, okay, for point A, point B, okay, and then they put in the, and then until they go to redline it, they don't look at it again. But once they saw that it was accurate and everything, and they wasn't having hits and uh, city stops and community stops, you know, I mean, uh, they started recognizing the value of the engineering. And engineering, by the way, goes beyond just drawing the lines on, on the paper and knowing what's there. It's also that working with the respective communities and the city planners or uh, roads uh, planners and things of nature, because they can start you down, your project down just as easily. And, okay, yeah, as a contractor, you can charge standby time, but it's not helping the, the, the company ultimately. And then that degrades your, your, your marking value by the government on giving you funds because, like, you failed to meet deadlines. So lots of different things that has to be done. So there's that, you know, the project management side of the house, the engineering side of the house, uh, and then the final working with the contractors, and then maintaining it. And, you know, the maintenance side of the house is where things, even though how good of an engineering you had done, how good the contractor documented it, when you have a emergency repair, it all goes out the door. So do you have any good yeah. from everything you said? Is there anything good. positive which we've taken, which we've had lessons learned over the years? Uh, you know, with all your experience and everything else, have you seen anything actually being implemented right now? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I've been talking about a lot of the negatives, but I mean, you know, every, you know, from the 40 years, there's been a lot of great things happening. You know, we, we, we we're now starting to really address the needs of people. And we, we through the process of deregulation, the industry now realizes that they don't have to use you. You know, now whether you know you are a rural ILEC with a you know a, a quote unquote monopoly, just to get the t uh, the wireless carrier out there. So now all of a sudden the industry is recognizing that the end user has a lot of say in the matter. And if we don't recognize that, you know, that's whenever we start losing money. That has become more and more. As a result of that, a lot of the rural X have become actually more progressive than a lot of even CLEX or even the major carriers. And that you'll see that now there are a lot of pockets of uh, fiber of the home being built uh, by the rural X without 
government subsidization or without government funding. You know, so not the ODOF, not the WeConnect, but actually out of their own, um, you know, capital budgets. So that's that's good. You know, they, they are starting to recognize that. Um, the community uh, involvement, you know, starting to work with communities to get certain, you know, because it's, it's tough enough you don't have a take rate, you know, to build for it. So those have all been positive things and everything. The But, you know, the negatives as far as not having good engineering functionality and trying to offset liability is still yet there, but more awareness of customers and trying to be more proactive and as opposed to reactive to customers. I think that's big as the biggest change that I've seen and the best change. I've so seen. I'm going to talk about thing right now. Within the states and within the uh, within the engineering process, uh, as you've stated, there there was a lag and there was a a period of time where a lot was not done, but right now UESI and ASC and they've really they've really seen that uh, all this lag of information has really been impacting all the works right through the nation of any infrastructure project. And they have two standards: ASC 38, which is the uh, depiction of uh, existing infrastructure investigation of in, in, in existing infrastructure for design purposes. Exactly, we're talking about the engineering locates. And they have the ASC 75, which is going to be released, which is the actual as-built standard or the as-constructed standard, which they are now implementing. And they're tying a lot of funding to actually maintaining and, and actually using those standards. So, for example, in Montana, on any right-of-way which you're working, you actually have to now return an as-built to a quality level uh, as per the ASC 75 or the soon-to-be-released ASC 75. Same thing in Canada. There's a, a municipality called York Region that is now issuing permits, and on the permits they're saying we need a as-built to this level, stating you know, with GPS survey, with total station, and giving the accuracies in order for them to actually issue that permit. What do you say to that in terms of universally saying you want a permit? Make sure you give us the right information back. Is that something that's feasible? Is that something that will work within uh, within the U.S. or within the telecoms, or is there going to be a lot of pushback? It won't work in the U.S. in, in the telecom industry, um, in in sewer, water line, um, those type of things. Yes, telecom it won't. Uh, again, it's a cost point, and um, when you when you say the the quality of the as built and things of nature, well, first and foremost, until you um, strike something you don't know whether or not the quality of the as built was any good or not yeah uh, you know and then as far as you know the 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 major locate companies well not everybody has to use them you know that's that's the other aspect you know you can self-locate you know so a lot of rural x will self-locate and so they don't have to turn it in to those things um most municipalities uh, small cities uh water uh, water sewage departments self-locate so there was not that that turn in value, you know. And again, it, it becomes the the knowledge of the people who work there, which is sounds pretty good. <laughs> the fact that they don't even know, but then they retire. You know, I was working with a company that had you know a rural island here recently, and uh, you know the, their technicians have been around for 25 years. Well, by the time I was with them, um, three of them had retired. And there was only one with intrinsic knowledge left, you know, all new hires. 
So in result, all that intrinsic knowledge was lost. And they, they had self-located for a long time. And their engineering was geocoded, not GPS coded. So that's a big difference and, uh, and everything. So, yeah, I think it's a great move, and it'll be something that'll be good in larger municipalities. And I would say that um, until the states, as you said, you know, Montana and things of this nature, but those are all tied to the DOT, you know, DOT usage, right-of-way usage, um, then that'll be good. But there was, in the rural marketplace, there was a lot of private right-of-way use because it's easier. First and foremost, you know, like my, my road out there, you know, they, they grade it, and they're so close to my fence line, I have to keep putting my poles back up, you know, because they keep knocking them over and everything. So, um, um, but all of the utility poles are on public, private right-of-way, you know. I have three of them in my own uh, land, you know. So um, so that's, that's, that's one of the challenges that would come with that is that it, it's a great concept, but regulations – don't always work. Interesting. Very interesting. David, two uh, two last questions before uh, before we wrap up. Uh, number yeah. one, any tips for uh, designers and engineers in the industry and uh, and what they can do better uh, besides what we've already discussed? First question. Okay. Yeah. First question. So, um, tips. Yes. Learn your industry. Know what you're building. You know, go to the field. Don't be afraid to go out there and act as though you are an inspector. Don't be afraid to get on a plow and plow. If you don't know how the construction techniques work, you're not going to be able to design for a construction technique. I guess that goes so, for any industry. Right. Yeah. Second, uh, second question, uh, David. Who, uh, who would you recommend that we should have as a guest on our podcast that we can learn from a bit? Hmm. Well, hmm. There, there, are, there are a couple of people. I have to, I don't have their names off the top of my head to call me off guard on that one. Um, but I can so we'll send get, you a note. We'll get back to you on that. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you a note on a couple of people I would say would be good uh, industry uh, knowledge. Okay. So, uh, David, I'd uh, like to thank you for uh, joining us today. Lots of really, really cool insights on what's happening in the telecom industry, uh, mainly about how we can do better uh, as an industry and what engineers can, uh, can do better and what the utility owners uh, can do better. Um, so there's lots, of, lots, of, lots to improve and there's lots of opportunities uh, when there's things that need to be improved. Um, so that's it. Uh, had a great time, and uh, until next time. David, thank you enjoyed the conversation. David, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I would like to sit down with you one of these days and really discuss uh, what happened to all that copper in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye, guys.